Hello and welcome back to the Wake Up Digital Marketing Podcast with me, Hermione. Today I'm joined by Phoebe from Burrow 155 and I think you're going to love this episode because we talk about the thing on a lot of business owners and marketers' minds, which is content. In the episode, Phoebe shares how you can identify your content pillars so that you make sure you use content strategically for your business. She also shares some really great tips about how to use approaches from Silicon Valley to really get the most out of your content. Before we get started, just a little reminder that if you're loving the podcast, please rate and subscribe. It really, really helps to boost it and let other people know about it. And if you want to keep in touch with all things Wake Up Digital, you can sign up for our brand new bi-weekly newsletter on the website, www.wakeupdigital.co. And now let's get on to the episode. One of the things that kind of really made me want to chat to you today was because you you mentioned a lot about using kind of growth hacking and Silicon Valley techniques applied to content marketing, which is something that is quite new and I was really interested to talk about. So I'm sure we'll touch on it. But maybe to start off, it would be really cool if you could share a little bit about your background and and how you came to creating Bureau 155. Of course. Thank you so much for having me here. I started off working in journalism about 10 years ago now. I started as a teen blogger at the Huffington Post, and I kind of did that for a little while. I thought I wanted to be a correspondent for CNN for a long time. Um, And then when I was at university in Amsterdam, I started getting more and more into the startup world. So I participated in um, Google's Startup Weekend, which is you basically uh, start a business in 56 hours and test it and everything like that and go to market. So it's a really fun challenge. And I also interned at Google for Entrepreneurs Tech Hub in Amsterdam. So I got really into the startup world and I really loved the energy, the enthusiasm people had and, you know, just how easy it is to create such cool things on a daily basis when you're in that kind of environment. So I was really drawn to that, but I didn't want to leave my my journalism behind. So I was doing a bit of both. I was writing for, for a few tech publications, the next web, places like that. And then I decided to go to business school a couple of years ago to get my master's degree in entrepreneurship. And after learning about everything that you needed to do to run a business, to start a business, to grow a business, I wanted to do that myself full time. So I decided to found my business, Bureau 155, and it kind of brings those three parts um, of my background together. So the journalism, the business side, and then also the startup world side. So I combine those three things to help other small businesses create results-driven content for, for themselves to grow their business and to help them reach their business goals. I really like what you said about the kind of energy that exists within the startup world. And that's definitely something that I've found as I've, I work obviously in marketing, but within startups and at the minute, a tech startup. I think it's really interesting what you're saying there. And I know you you did work in journalism for over 10 years before you moved into business. And were there any skills that you found that you gained from that more kind of journalism world that have really helped you kind of found Bureau 155? Yeah, for sure. So I was always a freelance journalist, which meant I was writing for a really broad range of publications. So I might be writing one article about 
Justin Bieber for the Huffington Post. And then next minute, I'd be writing about fashion for a small magazine in somewhere in the UK. And then I'd be writing something about the Charlie Hebdo terrorism attacks or, you know, that kind of thing. So I was switching and chopping and changing between loads of different topics um, and also different styles and tones of voice in my writing. And I think that kind of allowed me to get inside people's heads a little bit. I got used to being really aware of how I would say something would translate to people reading it, especially if you're covering, you know, more um, topics, you have to make sure things can't be taken in the wrong way. So you really get into the habit of thinking all the time, you know, okay, if I say this, are people going to take it this way? Or if I say this, is that maybe better? And then funnily enough, in content, and when you're helping people create content to sell their product or service, use pretty much exactly the same skills. You always want to approach your your content from a perspective of how is this going to be read? How can I make my follower do what I want them to do through reading the content that I put out? So kind of that same process of getting inside people's minds and almost reverse engineering the process to ensure that what you write is going to do the job. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I guess, you know, what you're saying is as a journalist, you're obviously trying to engage, you're trying to get get a certain maybe reaction or certain thinking points across. And it's exactly what brands need to do. So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Vice versa, are there any things that you find that you've learned from like the startup world that's really helped you with creating content? I think it, to be honest, that link is more in the resilience that being an entrepreneur gives you. And you need a very similar kind of resilience in the world of journalism that I didn't have before I started running my own business. So it's really funny when you are the only person who works your business full time, responsibility for everything falls to you. So, you know, for example, recently I've had people request the recording for a workshop I gave on Pinterest back in April. I don't have the recording anymore and the version that others have doesn't work. So I'm getting emails about this every day and it's kind of really interesting to be almost in a customer service role for half the day sometimes saying, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, let me refund you. Let me try and send you another version and the slides and see if we can do something that way. And you really have to become resilient just as when you work in journalism and particularly digital journalism, people can comment on your articles. And I wrote a lot of opinion pieces that got a lot of you know, (laughs) kind of not criticism, but people weighing in, you know, I wrote an article actually when I was about 17 about the NRA. That did very well. (laughs) I was on the receiving end of furious tweets from the uh, from NRA members in the States saying, why does this British teenager think she can weigh in on our Second Amendment or whatever? Um, And it's really funny that, you know, being an entrepreneur forces you to be resilient because, Otherwise, you wouldn't have a business, you know, if you can't handle the occasional complaint or people saying you sent me the wrong link and now I missed the session and now I want my money back, you know, so you really kind of build a thick skin. And I think that helps me in the journalism that I still do now, as and when I do get the odd critical comment or anything like that. So it's quite interesting to see, like you said, how it goes both ways. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And I mean, yeah, that resilience is a skill that I think well it's so important at the minute and it it never stops being important for Bureau 105 a huge 
part of your focus is content strategy. And it's something that we always hear, you know, content is king. I've been hearing that for a long time. And but it, but it is true. So I wanted to see if you could explain in your own words why having such a solid content strategy is so important for businesses today. Absolutely. So there are a few things at play here. First of all, now more than ever, there is an unbelievable amount of noise on social media and just in the digital world, you know, especially during the pandemic, we're all sitting at home on our phones, on our screens all day, every day, and we're being bombarded with content right, left and center. If your content isn't strategic, if there's no plan, if it's just kind of putting out posts, you know, of whatever it is, a nice little photo of your product without much of a description, no one's going to pay any attention. You're not going to stand out amongst the noise and people are just going to scroll on by without engaging. So it's really important to have a solid content strategy because essentially you're missing a trick if you don't. You know, so this is your chance to reach your customers where they are at home on their phones when they're receptive to receiving new information about new brands and businesses and offers. It's the perfect time to capitalize on that attention. But if you don't have a solid content strategy, your content's just not going to land. It's just going to be, you know, yet another post in the ether and it's not going to do anything for you. There's actually a really funny example that I give in a lot of my workshops, which is I ask people if they've scrolled through Instagram today. The answer is almost always yes. And if you have, I then ask you how many posts that you saw today that you can actually remember. This morning, myself even, I might have spent 25 minutes on Instagram. I can probably remember two posts that I saw and it's literally my job to pay attention to posts so you know it's (laughs) that just goes to show I mean you know if you don't have a solid content strategy and you're posting with a purpose and you know a point to it all no one's going to pay any attention whatsoever that's actually such a great exercise um to do I've just you've just got me thinking you know what what did I see this morning because I'm always I'm always on Instagram and yeah I can remember one post and I've probably spent at least half an hour on it today already you've probably seen you know literally 75 posts and we can remember one two three that's it yeah so it's just how do you get to to be that person that that cuts through and and that's the challenge I guess you talk about um the importance of defining content pillars how would you kind of describe content pillars like what, what would you say they are and how can people take some steps to identify what theirs could be so content pillars are essentially just the themes around which you base your content And the reason why they're so important is because they give your content direction and they give it a purpose. And usually if you're a business on social media, the purpose is to push your followers through the customer journey. So convert the people who follow you into people who buy from you. And you can do that obviously through your content and content pillars helps you ensure you do that in a really effective, easy way without forgetting bits and pieces. There are a couple of ways that you can organize your content pillars. Some people do general themes and some people do themes related to their business. So the three typical pillars that almost any business, whether you're product or service based, could use would be informative, which is about your business itself, educational, which about your industry 
and then inspiring which is something related to the wider industry maybe you know I don't know fun facts or something like that that are really inspiring so those are the three pillars that if you have no idea where to start with yours I would say go for informative educational and inspiring and see where that takes you that's really interesting and I think it it's a great way actually of helping you to narrow because one of the challenges that I've found with content in particular is that you can have all these ideas for content and you can get a bit lost and the focus can get a bit lost like you could spend ages creating something that isn't actually serving exactly what it needs to be doing or even as you say this uninspiring content that we that we see or the things that get missed it still takes a lot of time to produce it so it's I suppose having those pillars really helps you to get more direction and and make the most of the work that you're doing on your content so you don't waste your time exactly and then you know another really easy way to plan out your content in pillars is themes specifically related to your business itself so for me for example as a social media consultancy I could have pillars that include content tips as one Instagram as another LinkedIn as another Twitter as another and then when I sit down you know whatever it is once a month to sort of sketch out my content I can ensure that I have similar numbers of posts under each of those four or five pillars so that's also a really easy way to organize things and ensure that you're covering all your bases and putting the content out there that needs to be out there to again convert those people who follow you into the people who buy from you. Yes, that's that's really interesting because I think when you're doing it, if you find your, you know, I've been in this position, I've seen plenty of people in the position where content might get left to be a bit of a, an ad hoc thing, and if that's the case, it means that you, if you're doing things on an ad hoc basis, you can start to veer, and as you say, you might have twenty posts about Instagram and two about LinkedIn, and obviously then that part of your business will suffer. Exactly, and it's so easy to do because you know we have been taught that social media is a bad thing you know that it's something that's a bit of a time suck and it isn't actually something that can be used really strategically for your business but that's not true at all as I know very well from you know everyone that I work with Um, and if you're trying to discover your own content pillars I'd encourage you to think about some kind of common threads in your business so some businesses have three arms to it you know that would make natural content pillars so let's say you're a wellness brand you might have health mental health and relaxation or whatever it is you know however your business is split whether your product or service based and then you can have those things as your three pillars if you're a small product-based business like a fashion brand you might want to have one pillar being your actual collection one pillar being the inspiration in the fashion industry that helps you come up with your creations and then you might have one pillar which is about you as a founder for example and then your content might be split um 60 20 20 percent you know whatever it is and it can just help you give you a bit of direction if you are kind of running behind with your content and you sit down to post something you can take a quick look at those pillars and think okay I haven't covered the founder pillar as much this month so let me put up a quick post of fun facts for example yeah that's that's really great advice and it's it's really helpful I think for people who when you're planning your content and when you're just trying to make the most of the time that you're spending on it and um 
One of the things that, as I've mentioned, really, really stood out to me about your your business is the use of growth hacking or Silicon Valley techniques in the approach that you use to market for marketing. And could you just explain a little bit more about what you mean by this and and why why you think it's important to use? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is again, as I mentioned um, in the introduction, bringing the two parts of my background together. That I really like to use these tools and these techniques in my work with people with their content because it helps them make sure their content is as efficient and as effective as possible. You've already mentioned that, you know, content tends to be that something that we do on an ad hoc basis. It's often towards the end of people's lists of priorities. If you have to send some important emails and you have to make an Instagram post, I can almost guarantee that everyone will prioritize the emails, which doesn't have to be a bad but it does mean that when I work with people to help them with their with their content, we have to be really efficient with time. And this is where growth hacking comes in. So in the general startup world, growth hacking, which has been around for about 10 years now, I think, um, growth hacking is all about getting the most growth possible in the smallest amount of time and with the least amount of money. So everything I teach involves organic marketing. So we leave the money to the side. Some people like to try out ads as well, but that's not what I focus on personally. I use growth hacking methodology to essentially help people create lots of different types of content in an easy way and then test it on their audience in different ways to ensure we only move forward with what works best. So one example is I encourage people to create MVP content. So that's minimum viable product to use a bit of startup world lingo where actually let's say you want to test how photos of you do on your profile rather than calling up an expensive personal branding photographer, getting your hair and makeup done, buying a new power suit and getting some great shots taken in your home office. Instead, your MVP of that professional photo would be a nice snap of you on holiday or a selfie or something like that. And what we'll do is we'll test that photo. And if you see that, oh, um, the photos of me perform much better than some of my other content, you know it's worth the time and effort involved to go and produce more of this content in a more professional way. Another example would be if you want to create really valuable content in the form of a mini guide or something like that, rather than going away and creating an ebook, create a three, four, five slide post for Instagram, a carousel that people can swipe through. And if you see that that does really well in terms of saves and shares, you know that that's a topic people are interested in and a format they're interested in. And then you can go away and spend all your time on creating your amazing ebook. So it's really about testing things out and then using the data from those tests. And I say data, it's just clicking insights on Instagram. It's nothing complicated. Anyone can do it. But it just means that you always know that you're moving forward with content that people want to see. And that does the job rather than just saying, you know, okay, I'm going to go and make a a 10 part video series for my Instagram, even though I know my audience doesn't really appreciate video content. That's just an example. So it saves you time, it saves you money, and it ensures you're producing the most effective content possible for your audience. I really love this um, idea. And I think it's so important when um, 
when we're working in marketing because I think it can be so easy to get carried away with this big shiny project idea before it's even been tested the this idea that you mentioned of the MVP is so good because it's also it gives you a way to use real life data rather than asking because I, I think sometimes if you ask people like oh would you like an ebook on uh, video content they might just always say yes because people tend to want to be nice and polite and they don't tend to want to you know be too too critical or, or say no I don't want that whereas when you when you put out an MVP you get the actual data not what people say they want what people actually interact with it's so true and I see it you know myself with the workshops I put out and all that kind of thing in the world of social media everything is so kind of up and down and so fast-paced and so ever-changing that nothing actually stays static for long. There are no golden rules. If anyone says, you know, this is how you definitely beat the algorithm, you can't say that, you know, no one knows for sure. So it's much better to approach your content strategy from a place of always testing things, trialing, having fun with it, and just kind of tweaking and seeing what works, rather than saying, okay, for the next year, every Tuesday, I'm going to post a recipe you know, that just doesn't work. And the other fun thing I wanted to quickly mention, which is related to growth hacking, is about testing your own content on your audience. And this is what I do with everyone who works with me. I do this exercise in almost every one of my workshops. It's called the seven second test. And the idea is that within seven seconds, someone glancing at your social media profile or your website or whatever needs to be able to find out what you do, what makes you unique, and how you can help. And this is something you can do, you know, on your own with friends. I find people like cousins work best. I always say to ask your friends' spouses because they never listen. So if they can understand seven seconds, anyone can. So it's a really, it's a really fun little test, and you can use it for your LinkedIn bio. You can use it for your about page on your website, all of your social media platforms. You, you can really use it everywhere, but it's just a really great way. And that's also something that do you know Growth Tribe, the Growth Hacking School? Yeah, yeah. They teach that in their workshops as well. Um, I think I was there once, and they showed us a, a website, and I think they showed it to us for two seconds and then took it away and that's the test that they use to ensure they're transmitting the information as quickly as possible I mean it's normal when you're in your business or creating your content for a business daily you just get your your view of what you're communicating gets very skewed because you're so involved in it um so it really helps take that step back which is uh always really important I mean I'm gonna go home and do that now <laughs> after this call yeah, no, it's really, it's always brings up really interesting things for people. And yeah, just like you said, we're so in our own heads with our own content, with our own social media pages. It's really hard to actually see how people, you know, take the, you know, what we put out there and how they interpret it. If I would use a term like growth hacking in my bio, I think probably 2% of my audience would know what that is. But if I say startup techniques and tools, that's, you know, a lot more accessible. So even just being aware of, you know, your audience and who you're targeting, my audience isn't people who are very familiar with growth hacking and startup methodology because they wouldn't need me, you know. So my understand that my audience isn't familiar with these terms and actually help them get familiar with them. 
once you've been working in marketing for a while, you start to just use things like SEO, SEA, you just, you just, it becomes a language. And then, you know, I'll be talking to someone about it and they're like, what, but what is that? And it makes you think like, ah, oh, my comms need to be adapted because this doesn't, it doesn't make sense to the people who I'm meant to be helping. It's a good lesson for all of us to kind of keep testing. And, you know, I always say to people, especially, I said this a lot at the start of the pandemic, um, you know, when you have a bit of downtime in your business, if things are a bit slower, that's the perfect time to take a bit of, you know, take the chance to actually test things out like this that we usually don't spend time on and just make sure everything's optimized so you're not missing out on business from people who just don't even understand what you do. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's a really good good, good tip, a way of using kind of more quiet time uh, really effectively. Um, and you, you've mentioned um, a lot of the things that we should, uh, that, that are important to look at in terms of content strategy. Are there any kind of common mistakes that you see um, people making? There are. I think the biggest thing is posting without a reason or without a strategy behind what you do. So, you know, almost every brand, to take Instagram as an example, almost every brand has a presence on Instagram, but most brands do not do it in a very good way. So they'll have, you know, you might have a restaurant who posts a photo of their meal with a caption saying, uh, enjoy your meal <laughs> or something like there is no attempt to make it tangible, to make it exciting, to connect with people. And then they're really missing a trick because they're misusing this really valuable real estate and the chance to actually connect with their potential customers. I think the biggest mistake people make is yeah, a lack of caption. Captions are you know, a really good chance for you to actually write something that your audience can then retain and remember in the future next time they want a plate of pasta or whatever it is that you're serving in your restaurant as to continue that example um and yeah if you you know lots of people just post a three line two word caption whatever or a few emojis even worse and it's just such a such a missed opportunity are there any brands that you think are really doing their online content really well at the minute that you that you really like yeah, I love Chill House which is a kind of spa in New York City and they also have self-care related products they do a great job mixing digital and really great cross-platform content so they post for example digital self-care guides on their website they have a really great editorial on their website and then they use that content in really engaging ways on Instagram so it's all about repurposing and it's kind of a win-win because for Chill House, it means they get the most out of the content that they've worked so hard to create. And for the audience, um, it's really nice for us because we see a really strong, coherent brand across all platforms and it's packed with value as well. So we can we can gain, gain lots of tips from their content. And uh, the other brand that I love at the moment is Red Bull. They have really fun content from all of their extreme athletes. And it's nice, you know, when we're stuck at home to see videos of people doing parkour or whatever. And they they do a really good job of using all of Instagram's available features. So obviously stories and IGTV and everything like that. But they also make use of reels and Instagram guides, which literally only just got rolled out. So that's why I love them, because they really use all of the uh, the features available to them to connect with their audience. 
It's interesting as well what you're saying about this making your content work across multiple platforms and kind of integrate because it can be a big time saver right like if you have a blog post that you can make work on all your other platforms that's a really good use of time so in terms of kind of tools that you use are there any marketing uh, or like content tools that you would really recommend people kind of taking a look at to kind of up their game a little bit I really like Over, which is essentially like Canva, but for your phone. So it's not a marketing tool in itself, but it helps you create really coherent marketing materials uh, in your brand colors and fonts and everything like that. So that's great. And then the other one is MailChimp, because I think email marketing is massively underrated. And it's only when you run a small business yourself that you see, okay, wow, you know, really this is what is bringing people to my business and to my workshops and everything I did a bit of kind of research for myself uh, earlier this week and I think in 2020 I had about uh, 450 people take my my workshops and my one-off workshops and I think something like 80% of them booked directly through MailChimp in terms of what you've got planned for the rest of the year? I know you've been super busy with your Instagram accelerator course. And have you got anything else kind of in the pipeline for Brewer 155 uh, in the near future? I am working on uh, some more LinkedIn related content. So in January, I'll be moving forward with a couple of course related things all about LinkedIn, uh, which will be really fun because it's something that small business owners can really benefit from, but not many people actually use or use well. And the other thing is I'm starting as a guest lecturer at the London College of Fashion next week, which is uh, part of University of the Arts London. So that's something really exciting for me as well. Oh, that's really exciting. That's uh, That'll be a, such an, that's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm a bit nervous, but also exciting. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to share um, your knowledge and your insights. You've shared so much in such a short time. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much for having me.